late-to-life diagnoses of ADHD have been on the rise for women in perimenopause. So whether you are one of these women, whether you're wondering if you have it, whether you've been touched by it in one way or another, you're not going to want to miss this episode as we talk in this interview about how it shows up, including some of the positives and what you can do to support your unique brain in perimenopause so that you thrive. Let's get to it. What's up, sisters? Welcome to the Period Whisperer podcast. I'm Bria. I'm your host. If you're new, I'm so happy you are here. I'm your perimenopause and menopause sister, your holistic trainer, hormone specialist, translator of your female body. I'm a recovering people pleaser and hustle addict turned body whisperer and hormone decoder. And I am here to help you de-stress your body, decode what it is saying, become the CEO of it, and own your own health, energy, and weight loss again. This show is for you, the overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated step woman who dreams of a body they feel strong, energetic, and sane in. The woman who knows that she shouldn't just wave the white aging flag and believes in a body and life of peace, love, and purpose. But you don't just know how to get there yet. So if you are stuck in your body, your energy, your life, you are in the right spot. Let's lean in and learn what our bodies are saying to us. Hey, sister. Welcome to this episode of the Period Whisperer podcast. And let me tell you, it's an interesting one. More and more in my practice, I've been connecting with women who have had recent diagnosis of ADHD much later in life. And this can be really overwhelming, especially during the time when we're already super overwhelmed. So whether you have wondered if you have ADHD, have been diagnosed with ADHD, have a child or someone you know in your life with ADHD, you're not going to want to miss this episode. My friend and amazing human, Christine McCarroll, who is a functional nutritionist, board certified in holistic nutrition, and a certified brain health professor joins me for an amazing conversation to talk about her late diagnosis with ADHD, as well as supporting her daughter who has ADHD. We know that sadly, most doctors have little to no training on true healing. So she rebelled and has helped hundreds of women recover mood, energy, and mojo, and clearing up brain fog in ADHD symptoms along the way. In this interview, we talk about how ADHD diagnosis diagnoses have been on the rise for women in perimenopause, how it shows up, including some of the positives, and what you can do to support your unique brain in perimenopause so that you thrive. I'm so excited that you're here. Let's dive in. Well, welcome, Christine. I'm I'm so excited about this conversation. I have to say I'm really excited to dig into all of it for several reasons. Firstly, because in the last five years, I've noticed a significant rise in women coming to me for help with their perimenopause symptoms who've had a late ADHD diagnosis. And secondly, because my wife has ADHD, so I'm I'm really invested in learning more about it. (laughs) Uh, So I'm super grateful to have you here. Welcome to the Period Whisperer podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Bria. I'm excited to talk to... I was like, as soon as you said those things before we started, you hit record, you said your wife, I was like, oh, so many things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in talking to you about, yeah. Help <laughs> me sure. out here. Yeah. Help me support, right? We always want to understand yeah. and, and support. And so why don't we start a little bit with your story specifically, like around your late di- diagnosis with ADHD and maybe even, maybe even before that, what even ADHD is for anyone who maybe isn't as familiar? Yeah. Um, so that's a great, that's a great starting point. So I think ADHD historically has been categorized as something that happens to young boys. And 
you know, we'll get into this later, but this often is why women don't get a diagnosis until later because the stereotype, like I bet if you just said, what's ADHD and you were just asking like random person on the street, like that, you know, interview style where you go up and you're like, what's ADHD? They're gonna be like hyper little boys, right? Like that yeah. is just the stereotype, like the little kid who can't sit still in class, like jumping yeah. off the walls. Um, but there's multiple kinds, right? So there's, there's a more hyperactive kind, which typically is more boys. I mean, there's variations, right? There's inattentive, which is typically more girls, which is more daydreamy. And then there is a combined type, which is both hyperactive and maybe inattentive as well. Yeah. Um, so, and then like the difference, like the ADD versus ADHD, that is truly semantics. It was a difference in the diagnostic criteria um, a few years ago, actually the, the DSM manual. So like how psychiatrists diagnose, yeah. um, they changed it so that ADHD or a, I'm sorry, ADD is no longer the official term as ADHD. It's the same thing. Like there's okay. no difference in symptoms. It's just the name. Um, so, Thank you for clearing that up because I had no idea. Like I, I had mm-hmm. no idea. So that's, that's yes. really helpful information to know. And mo- most people don't, um, or they'd be like, oh, well, isn't that ADD or is that different? Like it's, and it's literally just, just the name. Um, so it looks in a lot of women like, so that inattentive is trouble with focus, but the, the, I would say that almost hyperactivity is happening inside of her brain and you don't necessarily see it outside, right? Mm-hmm. So someone might, and and this is why it doesn't, one reason why it doesn't get diagnosed early is because maybe a little girl just looks like she's daydreaming. So no one's paying attention to the right. little girl who's daydreaming. They're paying attention to the little boy who's causing a ruckus. A in, a ruckus, right. And yeah. Squeaky yeah. wheel gets so, the grease. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so a lot of times it takes a longer time for uh, a girl to get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it may not happen until later in life. Um, for me, I think I didn't get a, a diagnosis until later because mm-hmm. I'm 40, I'm 45. I'm almost 46. Mm-hmm. The time when I was growing up, like the diagnosis did not exist for girls. Mm-hmm. Like that stereotype is there for a reason. And they literally were like, it's boys. And boys outgrow it. This was the other thought. They hit puberty and something magical happens and then it's just outgrown. But really what happened is they maybe just learned how to sit still. Mm, Interesting. Or maybe they joined a sports team. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, so many, so many girls um, and women were not diagnosed. So women in midlife, this diagnosis didn't exist for us. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other thing is all of these hormone fluctuations, which I know we'll talk about, that start happening in yeah. uh, in perimenopause, mm-hmm. exacerbate the symptoms. So where you might have been able to kind of manage, and the kind of the way I think about it is like y- you were simmering for a while. All of a sudden, perimenopause hits, and now we're at a full boil. Right. So that's that's the the secondary reason I think that happens. And so for me, combination of diagnosis didn't exist and wow, when I hit perimenopause and those hormones changed, it really brought that to the surface. I didn't even realize it was like a possibility for me. And Mm -hmm. so then, you know, when that, um, that happened, I also realized that my 13 year old daughter who was going through the fluctuations of adolescence, her summer had hit a boil as well. Interesting. So how did that for you and your story specifically, like, was it what was happening that drove you to even go to the doctor? And did you have any idea that ADHD was like on in the spectrum for you? 
So the funny thing was, I remember really clearly sitting in a doctor's office for a friend. I wasn't even there. Like it was literally, I had taken her to the doctor's office like 10 years ago, probably. And I read this magazine article and there were some symptoms in there. And I don't, again, I have no idea why I picked it up other than I was bored and I picked up this random magazine and the symptoms sounded like they might be the same as me. And it was like, you might have ADHD if, right. Uh And it was like the one that sticks out to me, which is funny, was just like, you can't read for a long time without feeling really tired. Interesting. I have a master's degree. (laughs) The amount of like reading required and the exhaustion I felt to get through the same material as other people, I always felt like I was like, why is this so hard for me? Right. So um, that was kind of the first inkling. But then I put it off. I was like, no, I couldn't possibly. Like that couldn't be true for me. Just put it right out of my mind. Um, And the it was actually interesting. So I started running uh, genomics assessments on my own clients. And I was trying out a few different companies. So I'd worked with a few companies historically, um, was trying out a new company and they had a whole section. They have one because I still use it around uh, likelihood of ADHD. And I got my genomics report back. um, And it's crazy. I was just sitting in a hotel room by myself. I got the report and it was, came up as elevated risk for ADHD. And it was like the lightning bolt from the sky. I'm like, it just felt, tr- it was just like, like the ding, like just, it is true. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, obviously I need to go through the motions of getting a diagnosis, but it was like, it was true to my bones. And just I was right. like, I knew immediately. So then of course the other ADHD flip side is, uh, is hyper-focus, mm-hmm. which is like, you get super interested in something and then you like, you're like deep a dive. pit bull. Yeah. Down the rabbit hole. I was deep dive like for, and I was by myself in this hotel room for a week and so I was just like all the way down the rabbit hole all day every day <laughs> um and I actually only pursued diagnosis because I knew we were going to need to do it for my 13 year old and I didn't want her to feel alone I wanted right. her to like be like yeah I got someone on my team who knows what this feels like it's not just like a label um that's really the only reason I went down that path because as soon as I did all my deep dive research I was like zero chance that this is not true Oh my gosh. Okay. So I just for pure curiosity, what was the time difference between when you saw the article and kind of dismissed it and you got the, the, you know, that report back from, um, your testing and the lightning bolt hit. How long was that? It was 10 to 12 years. 10 to 12 and, years. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that happens to a lot of women with a late diagnosis that for sure happened to me is a period of grief, like mm-hmm. just mourning, how much harder my life was during that time without diagnosis and support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's a very real thing. And, you know, I think like on, on a little bit less of a scientific and more of like just a personal opinion level, I, I hear this as this feeling from a lot of women when they finally understand and learn so much more about their cycle and their hormones, they're like, it's, it's, you know, mourning, it's angering that we didn't have this information when we should have had this information, you know, why is it, why am I 40 something figuring this out or finally hearing it? And even then you kind of have, you're stumbling upon it. It's not like it's Mm -hmm. being presented to you as a thing. So I can understand that period of mourning for you. Mm -hmm. I I have like a hundred questions, but (laughs) I'm so, I want to try to keep this, this thing that's, that must've been very powerful for you and powerful, you know, once you're able to move through the morning to be able to support your daughter, what, like, 
is there something different? Like, first of all, is is it a genetic thing if your daughter has it? Is it can it be an, a nurtured thing? Is it a nature thing? Like, is something when they test for it? Is there like a gene? Like, can you break that down for us in order to actually know where it comes from, why it's here? Mm-hmm. So I'd say this is one of those million dollar questions, and there actually is. Um, there's not like a hundred percent agreement um, in I would say like the professional expert sphere. Um, I would say we do know that there is a strong genetic component. And and even before there was genetic testing, you could see it in families. And it was for sure one of those things that for me, um, right down the rabbit hole, besides my own genetic report, I was I was like interested in that genetic piece because I immediately knew it was my daughter. But then of course I'm like XYZ family member and also this family member probably. And what what was most fascinating is once I started talking about it publicly. I wasn't even actually talking about it with my family. I was talking about it in public and extended family members were reaching out to me and either confiding a diagnosis or or saying, I've always thought. So they're for sure, we've known for a long time that there is a family component. The genetics piece, I think is pretty damn clear to me. Um, and, and I do genomics testing, like I said, um, and there are specific markers. It isn't part of diagnostic criteria though. So if you were to just go to get a diagnosis, they're not going to be looking at your genetics. Mm. They're, they're looking at your, your symptom profile. Um, which to be fair, I mean that the whole field of like epigenetics genomics is that intersection intersection of uh, nature and nurture, right? Mm -hmm. So you can have a predisposition. It can express more based on different life circumstances, nutritional circumstances, uh, lifestyle factors, right? So those genetics can be expressing at a higher or lower level. And somebody might actually have genetics for it and, and say, I don't really feel like I'm symptomatic. Likewise, someone can feel highly symptomatic and maybe not have as high of a predisposition, but maybe so many other factors have, have come into play for them. So, um, I don't diagnose, that's obviously not part of my, um, my scope of practice. Um, yeah, yeah, but, but from what I have seen, um, you know, I think it's a very, very clear genetic piece. Mm -hmm. And then of course the lifestyle piece of how much it's expressing can really Mm -hmm. shift things. So um, do you believe then that we can uh, like manage, support, improve symptoms holistically through functional? Yeah. Okay. I love that because that's what I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. But do you know, you know, statistically speaking, like what percentage of females have ADHD? So once we started actually addressing that it could be it could be females as well. Yeah. Um, it it really looks to be about equal. So the the like you know statistical norms are about one in ten, and that does hold true for boys and girls. Yeah, and so um, and it's really again the diagnostic criteria not existing earlier. Why it looked like it was less, mm-hmm. um, but really in you know in more recent years, I would say the past probably five to ten years uh, that they've measured more accurately. Yeah. It's equal. And in this, I'm just so curious about this, this, I assume there's a rise then of late diagnosis. Like that's what I've been seeing just in my practice, let alone what I think, you know, you're saying here. Is it, is the greatest number of, of women's, you know, getting a late diagnosis in these like over 35, you know, 40 perimenopause, menopause years? Yeah. So a, a, a huge majority of women, um, like if, if you look at a bell curve and there was actually a recent, um, 
survey, and so this is survey data, right? But a recent survey from Attitude magazine, um, and it was like the bell curve was like, I mean, like almost like a mountain curve. <laughs> like it didn't mm-hmm. just look like a tiny hill of of the diagnosis happening around midlife. Um, wow. And and I and I truly believe it is that like kind of that uh, perfect storm of. Yeah. Didn't that didn't exist when we were kids? Yeah, a lot of us also um, as moms, um, mothers may be having a child who's diagnosed and then go, "Oh crap, that actually mm-hmm. like has been true for me." So kind of opposite of me, like I I got it and I was like that kid. Yeah, <laughs> too. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of women will maybe they are looking through a, a survey or questionnaire for their child mm-hmm. and they're like mentally checking off their own boxes like oh that's me too yeah um, and then and of course those um perturbations of hormones at midlife right yeah. are, are making things feel even more heightened so I think there's yes. that like perfect storm that happens. yeah I couldn't agree I love that you the way you said that with the perfect storm because there's a multiple and and I think like we know obviously the hormone the hormonal shifts are impacting the brain and I like to like look at it from a metaphor as like we've spent since we were 12 13 like being subconsciously driven to reproduce and we hit this time and now it's less important or it's like that subconscious as the hormones change, you know, it's like we have a bit more bandwidth to look at other things other than, you know, constantly every month being back thinking about reproducing. And I think we get Mm -hmm. way more aware and curious, like, whoa, what is this? I'm now I'm aware of it. And what does it even mean? So it's like, you know, to hear you had that lightning bolt, it's like you were finally ready to recognize it, deal with it, process it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So cool. It's funny when I asked my daughter, um, like I, I was worried about the conversation like before, cause I, I had a pre-conversation with her pediatrician, like, Hey, I'm going to bring, you know, I want to bring this up at the, her next visit. Um, and so I, I wanted to have the conversation with my daughter before we went in mm-hmm. to kind of like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. And I want you to do this little questionnaire before we talk. And she had never heard of it. And I just figured, I figured a, a she would have heard of it from like, yeah. All maybe boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and B, she might have some sort of preconception or maybe she would have like teachers would have like had maybe negative things to say. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting. I mean, she does go to a small school, but she never heard of it. And I was like, this is what a wonderful opportunity actually for me to frame this in a positive light or like, yeah. here's what we can do to support you. And, and here's like how we're going to help your body. And she didn't come in with any preconception, which well, was that's amazing. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So I know you mentioned, you know, some of the things that how, how it showed up, you know, even just that kind of recognition of like getting tired when you read, you know, maybe sort of the daydreaming, but you know, how does it, are there more ways like for us to recognize it maybe showing up in ourselves. I know we, you know, I know you mentioned an article and maybe you refer to that, but if you can outline some of those, I think that would be helpful. Yeah. So, you know, really I think focus is is the biggest piece. And and to be even more specific, it's initiating tasks, completing tasks. Um, so the like the the um the I don't, it's not exactly a pre-diagnosis, but kind of like the the um the looser description is executive function. So executive function is things like planning and organization and um, longer term thinking versus Mm -hmm. shorter term. And a lot of that stuff that's in the prefrontal cortex, like that front part of your brain. So for example, one of the biggest challenges with my kiddo was getting out the door in the morning because time blindness is another thing, like being able to like know the amount of time, right? And so like my husband has joked for years, he tells me 10 minutes earlier than we really have to leave. 
so that I'll be ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, same thing with my kid. Like the biggest challenge we had every morning was just her getting out the door on time. And once I realized actually, and I think this is one of the biggest, it's the relief and the grief for lots of women realizing they have ADHD is we stop feeling so much moral judgment against mm-hmm. ourselves for like not doing it right. Um, I do think there's also this feminine ideal of like the uh, organized together woman, like women often organize the home or the ch- like children's activities or the social calendar. And all of those things are extra hard for a woman with ADHD. So you kind of constantly feel like you're not just failing at life, but like failing at being the ideal woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me to take the pressure off myself, but also my kid, like, hey, like, I don't, it's, we're just going to like go with the the way that your brain works and how can we structure the morning in a way that's going to make us get to school on time, right? Like just structuring things differently in a way that works for her brain, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. No, I love that. And and before we kind of dive into some of those ways, what are, you know, what are some of the positives, you know, like what are some of the, you know, the benefits or the strengths that maybe someone who has ADHD because to me, I start thinking, I'm like, 10, 10% of the population, like, it's not a condition. It's just a different and alternative way that our brain, that some people's brain works. And the same way some people just learn, you know, learn differently. And obviously, knowledge is power. But what are, like, what would you say are some of the benefits of having it? Mm-hmm. Um, which I love that question. I think it's so easy to, like, just totally ignore the things that like work well. Yeah. Um, that hyper-focus is one, which, you know, mm-hmm. it can bite you in the butt if it's 2 a.m. and you've like hyper-focused <laughs> and you can't stop. <laughs> but but hyper-focus is amazing. So yeah. if you if you had a project of whatever sort um, and you were really into it, yeah. like you're going to go a thousand feet deep. Um, wow. And so like that, like super ability to be super, super driven on one mm. particular thing can yield fantastic results. Yeah. Um, Certainly, I think the the more creative thinking as well. So there's like an ability to like put together dots, which I actually had always thought of as just like my own unique personal ability. And then once I realized and like started talking to other women with ADHD and meeting other people, I was like, oh, this is an ADHD thing. Like putting together ideas that don't seem like they're connected, but I can see the constellation and it's really clear to me how those things are connected. Um it's just a different, like you said, it's a different way of thinking, but it's, it can lead to some really like more interesting conclusions or like, yeah. in my work, I'm like looking at, yeah, like just like, oh, here's a way no one's ever thought about your health before. No one's ever thought about your constellation of symptoms before. And, and I can that see that relationship. Constellation of symptoms. Thank you. I feel like I've been hearing yeah. it more and more in the functional <laughs> health space. And it's like, it just is such a beautiful image in my mind when you say that. So I that's awesome. That's really great to hear. So you know, being able to look at things, being able to just see things from a different perspective and make them make sense where they maybe they wouldn't in a traditional logical, in a traditional right. brain, we'll call it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. A li- maybe less linear. So like there's right. absolutely a place for linear thinking, yeah. um, but you can get a lot of interesting insights from kind of a, yeah, that constellation approach and not necessarily so, so linear. That's amazing. It's, Okay, that's and sorry. Is there anything else before I move on and ask you another question? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I think those are those are a couple of big ones, and I do think you know. Um, I don't know that there's like stats on this, but I do think uh, a lot of people with ADHD do tend to be more creative, um, maybe mm-hmm. because of that less linear thinking. So, right. um, you know, just the, the creatives of the world. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. So there's so many positives to it. It's not a, you know, but I, I can understand though 
you know, just going back to your point around that morning piece, like I can understand getting a late diagnosis like this, how frustrating that would be. Cause it's, it's almost like you're like, what could I have accomplished? How could I have felt in my confidence, in my body, in my life? Had I known this and had I been in a position to foster it instead of feel like I'm being a square peg shoved into a round hole? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I love this. So <laughs> let's maybe shift into like, okay, if we know this about ourselves. Um, well, actually, first, if if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, interesting, some of these things are feeling right for me, what do you recommend they do? So there are some good online questionnaires um, and I would absolutely start, I mean, be looking for the ones that are specific for women and girls okay. um, and and they they do exist. Um, so actually I was talking about uh, Attitude Magazine. Um, so there's, there is one on there um, and I'm forgetting the exact name of it, but it's pretty easy to search. So one of the pioneers of identifying ADHD um, in women uh, is someone named Sari Solden. Um, and I actually had her on my podcast uh, last year. She's fantastic. And so she wrote a whole book and I think it was the first book um, on ADHD in women. And she has some excellent questionnaires and they're on that website. Okay. Um, and so I think that's a great place to start is just like self-identifying, you know, if I check off all of these boxes. Um, one thing absolutely to mention here as well is that even though there is this huge intersection with uh, women understanding it may be a diagnosis in midlife, there are, of course, as you are well aware and have probably educated your audience on, there are brain changes that happen just from the estrogen progesterone fluctuations yeah. in midlife. Yeah. So I do think it's it's important to say, like to ask the question of yourself, is this something that has been true for me my entire life mm. or is this a new onset, right? So if it's a new onset, like for me, like I said, it was a simmer that came to a boil, but that simmer had been there for the for my whole life. And I could think back even to early childhood and and my classroom experience and where that had been true versus someone who's like, wow, I actually feel like I've always had my my stuff together. And then all of a sudden, like I don't, maybe there's something else going on that's not related to having ADHD. So I just okay. want to like pull that apart and clarify that it does okay. like, it's not just a diagnostic criteria. I think if also, if we just look at biology and the way that like with genetics, you're processing dopamine, that would have been true your entire life. It doesn't just midlife pop up out of nowhere. Interesting. Okay. So you're obviously you're saying like explore, get to know yourself, ask the questions, you know, get the functional support that you need because it's, it might not be that just because you can relate, which is, which is so indicative of all things perimenopause, right? We can go in, right. you know, to a healthcare <laughs> practitioner, say we have these symptoms, get given something, even though really it's perimenopause. <laughs> right. There's exactly. Of, yeah. Okay. So I, no, I really, I really appreciate that you brought that up. That's great. So, okay. So that's awesome. I'm going to look for that questionnaire and try to pop that in the show notes, but you let's kind of maybe shift into what we can do if we do have this, if we do for anyone listening, or maybe you have a child who has this. Um, I saw one of your posts that intrigued me. You said about 30% of people with ADHD either don't respond to stimulants or can't tolerate the side effects. Can we talk about that for a minute before we get into other ways to support? Yeah. So um, kind of like standard of, of care is a stimulant medication. And it's interesting that it has that kind of reverse action. So someone who uh, you like, you would think, oh, you're hyper. Why would you give you, you know, why would we give you a stimulant to, and then you're more hyper, yeah. um, but it, it has a reverse action. So a stimulant is calming to someone who um, has ADHD. And so it gets you more in, like into a focus zone versus kind of bouncing off okay. the walls. Um, so 
some people just don't want to, right? So you yes, want a more holistic, natural way of doing things. Um, some people have really terrible side effects, um, like they can't sleep or they have dry mouth or they have heart palpitations or it creates high blood pressure. So there's lots of reasons why someone might not want to uh, to just do medication. Um, yeah. And even if you do choose medication, we're at risk of nutrient depletions that a lot of people don't know of um, yeah. from those medications. And then that can exacerbate other symptoms long-term. So um, even if you're looking at medication, there's still foundational supports. And if you don't want it, then absolutely there's a lot of foundational support you can do. Um, And as someone who really works uh, with with women, and I've worked with women's hormones for years as well, like that was where I came from before I, you know, did my my hyperdrive into ADHD. Um, A lot of the things that we do to balance hormones holistically, of course, also apply to balancing our brains and neurotransmitters. So um, I listened to your episode on on sleep. I, when I was driving yesterday, I told you I had a little trip. Yeah. I had a long drive um, between uh, our location and the airport. I was like, I'm going to like listen to some of these these episodes. And like, I was like nodding in the car with the sleep piece. Um, it's huge for brain function, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, so, you know, getting sufficient sleep, keeping your blood sugar stable, getting your thyroid checked. There's a strong relationship between thyroid hormone and brain function. Um, For women with ADHD, you know, I think all women need to be looking at um, like your omega ratios, your three to six ratio, um, but that becomes even more heightened um, with any mental health issues. But for sure, um, ADHD, you want to be looking at your omega ratios. Um, And you actually can look at neurotransmitters as well. And then there can be specific supports around specific neurotransmitters, um, Mm -hmm. specific amino acids, specific nutrients. Like there are a lot of things, like once we cover that foundational level, there are a lot of kind of additional supports that can help your brain just feel better. Um, And and I, you know, I mean, besides all my client work, I'm like, I'm an N equals one experiment. My kids an N equals one yeah. experiment. All those family members I was telling you about, like, I'm, I'm trying all of the different things that are out yeah. there to kind of see like what actually, um, what actually works yeah. and what actually yeah. feels different. Um, and so, yeah, there's herbs that work much, you know, kind of like stimulants, um, even different ratios of like EPA to DHA in a fish oil can stimulate your brain differently. Yeah. So those, there's just, um, there's a lot of support, but I always say you got to start with the foundations. Yeah. I agree with you. You know, I think it's always, it's, it's like kindergarten. So it's the first place we need to start, right? It's like, we need to make sure you know, if you want to get the most out of your health, but also any medication that might help you, I think we need to make sure that we have like the the foundation for which the house is built upon. And, and that totally. is where we come down to those fundamental pieces before we drill down more deeply. It's like, am I sleeping? Am I doing what I need in order to sleep? Am I moving? Am I, you know, am I eating well? Am I managing my relationship to stress? So mm-hmm. if we can start there, then it allows us to kind of go deeper the same way our kids start in kindergarten and evolve and through middle school and high school and post-secondary. It's like, we need to not try to run the marathon before we do the 5K, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. That. Um, that's so interesting. So for, so what you're saying even, actually, I wanted to go back and then I'll, I'll, I'll recircle back to this piece, but what are some of the tests that you recommend as a functional practitioner then, or that you would do, you know, to resurface the omega-3-6 um, ratio? Mm-hmm. Or some of the other things you suggested. So I do think like a comprehensive blood panel is a is a great place to start for almost like if your blood sugar is out of whack, yeah. that's your brain's energy, right? Yeah. And so, you know, one of those those 
stats that I love and I think it's so valuable is like it's two per, your brain is two percent of your body weight and we use twenty percent of your calories to support brain function. Wow, that's how much of an energy hog it is. Um, yeah. So yeah. blood sugar dysregulation is a big problem, both high and low blood sugar. Your brain can become insulin resistant as well, and then we're mm. not getting you know the the fuel that we need. Um, thyroid function, as I mentioned, yeah. has a has a major role to play. Um, there are nutrients we can look at. So there is a strong relationship with zinc and ADHD. Um, we can change people's need for medication just from getting sufficient on zinc. Um, mm -hmm. Iron is a big player. Um, it has to do with dopamine regulation. So some of those foundational pieces actually on a comprehensive blood panel, I think are a great place to start and actually easy because maybe you can have a conversation with a, a primary care physician and they yeah. might be willing to do some of those, those pieces. Um, so uh, omegas, there's a, a test called the omega quant, and you can look at your omega three to six ratio, um, which I believe is even easily available as a direct to consumer test. Um, so that's a really important one to start with as well. Um, and then of course, gut function, right? So we know that, um, you know, there's that gut brain axis. We know that a lot of the relationship is the communication is going from the gut to the brain. Um, there are some specific uh, markers and changes in people who have ADHD. So I think the um, the like next level that I would go to is for sure gut health and gut assessment um, for uh, like looking at those neurotransmitters there's urinary organic acids. You can look at specific neurotransmitters. Basically, how are you clearing things like dopamine? So mm -hmm. that was another thing I like, as soon as I kind of saw that piece for myself and I was like, let me go back and look at all of my history of things I've done for myself. And I went back because I had never even like, it, it was like something I had looked at on myself, like a brand of urinary organic acids, like, I don't know, eight years ago. And then yeah. I was like, I wonder what, what, and sure enough, like, you know, clearing dopamine really fast, which means like it just doesn't stay around in my body. I don't have the benefit of dopamine as a neurotransmitter for very oh long, right? Just like biochemistry wise, that's one of the biggest problems for people with ADHD is the dopamine is just not hanging around. So, um, so I was like, well, there's that, like that's been showing up forever, <laughs> but I wasn't doing anything to support it because it hadn't occurred to me that I needed to, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then for sure, you know, those, those hormone changes, um, estrogen potentiates dopamine. So we like- Women already usually feel better that first half of the cycle, but women with ADHD, that goes times like 10. Um, mm. And then, uh, you know, there's changes with progesterone as well. So when progesterone falls off in perimenopause, it can even make us feel more anxious, more mm. kind of spacey. Um, so they're like the like normal brain stuff that happens with cycles, it's like extra, extra when you have ADHD yeah. because of that interaction with estrogen and progesterone and dopamine. So it's down the line where I would say do something like a salivary hormone panel to kind of see where your hormones are at because you got to fix the, the foundations first. But yeah. for sure, you could say, hey, I'm having these big swings and that may be impacting how my brain is experiencing dopamine and mm -hmm. therefore what are my symptoms like? Wow. that It's so fascinating. You know, obviously we know that, you know, women's health has been highly under-researched. So it's, it's amazing to start hearing and having these conversations more. But it's almost like, even within understanding our cycle more, there's going to be legs of, you know, women whose brains operate this way and women whose brains operate this way. And that's not even to say there's others that we're not even clear on yet. You know, it's, but, and yet to know this, to understand that if we can understand our cycle and then understand what, you know, what our brain type is, you know, how much more, how much 
more sense. I think everything could make to customize it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so absolutely. Cool. So, you know, obviously we know everyone's bio-individual and, you know, we need to start with the foundations, but for you, what are those foundations? And like for you, when you started for yourself and or for your daughter, you know, for anyone who's listening, who maybe already knows or, or really wonders, but is like, what can I do now? What, what specifically would you suggest? So, um, she hates doing the random functional things, but I like, I made her, <laughs> so we have to like, actually just see what's happening in your body. Yeah. Uh, like we gotta, we gotta see what's how your gut is. And like, yeah. you know, let's, let's look at the, the please organic acids. In this. She's like, <laughs> exactly. Please scoop in this box. <laughs> you must hate that. Yeah. Um, like, my daughter oh. would die. <laughs> <laughs> well, when they were little, like, I mean, I actually did do this very young. Um, she has a whole backstory of, of other, you know, like brain stuff. It's how I got into this field in the first place. Huh. So she had, She's done the poop in the box before and and I would collect it for her, right? And so that was even more embarrassing. Now at mm-hmm. least she's like, okay, just stay away. I'm going to hand you the little vial. Yeah. Um, but we we started, I mean, actually a lot of the things that we, we had already been doing, um, I just put like the extra, extra bumpers in that bowling lane, right? Like there is no exception around sleep at all. There mm. is no exception around screens late at night because mm. that's going to keep you awake. Um, there is also this genetic association where uh, people with ADHD tend to have more dysregulated sleep patterns. They mm. tend to have dysregulation of this. Uh, it's actually called the clock gene where like how your circadian rhythm functions is different. And so lots of people have that disruption who have ADHD, which means they don't even get tired until later. It's really hard to go to bed early. So we had to put lots and lots of of, of uh, hygiene and support around uh, her sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already, I've always been very like protein focused, but if you just mm-hmm. think about building blocks, right? So um, protein breaks down into amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks for neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. So if you're low on protein, you're going to be low on neurotransmitters, mm-hmm. period. So I really make sure she has a, like a strong protein breakfast before she goes to school. There's never a bowl of cereal and, and, and out the door, like ever, ever, period. Mm-hmm. Like you have to eat enough protein before you leave the house. Yeah. Um, and then I changed some of her core supplements. So um, I was mentioning like EPA tends to be a more stimulatory fish mm-hmm. oil. Um, so we moved both of us to a more, to a high EPA fish oil relative to DHA, um, which is interesting because usually DHA gets that like um, the pub around brain health, but yeah. but EPA can be more effective um, with ADHD. Um, and then she does a couple of specific amino acids. Um, I'm going to say what they are, but really like, I don't want someone to like take this and be like, I'm going to just run down the street and get these amino acids and yeah. everything's going to be great. Test, um, don't guess. Exactly. <laughs> We're going for here. <laughs> um, but the precursor uh, ner- to dopamine is tyrosine. So tyrosine as an amino acid can be useful. Um, and then theanine is is can be actually calming. So they kind of work nicely together, especially in someone who might feel anxious with their ADHD, which is very, very common with women. Um, and the thinking around that really is that women are anxious because they don't think they're measuring up, right? They don't think they're functioning well, so they get anxious. So anxiousness may be secondary to ADHD. Um, but those are two amino acids that she has first thing when she wakes up in the morning. And I, I call them her pocket vitamins. She sticks them in her pocket and like midday, that's her like, you know, kind of midday support. Um, but yeah, lots of protein, keeping her, uh, you know, her blood sugar stable throughout the day. Um, specific things we did for her gut and higher EPA fish oil were kind of some of those primary supports. And then, like I said, lifestyle, 
hundred percent. She's like protected around sleep. And so am I like, I'm yeah. like ridiculous about my sleep. Yeah. Um, and then, and then movement. Um, so like, I make sure she takes a walk every day and mm-hmm. obviously I make sure I would take a walk every day, yeah. but, um, you know, getting that movement piece in, getting blood flow to your brain, oxygen, there is actual literature around increased function after exercise for about three to yeah. four hours. So, um, yeah, those pieces are important as well. And dopamine, I guess, right. Why it's so interesting. So it's, you know, what I understand you saying is, you know, someone who has ADHD often, it's like you metabolize dopamine faster, like your burn on it is quicker. So is it, would, and certain, would certain enzymes slow that, or is it, they just provide more like, is the mechanism always going to burn that fast and we just need more of it to balance out or can we slow the metabolizing of it? The burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't, maybe that's the word. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> there's, there's not like clear data on right. things where we can like, just like slow, slow dopamine processing down. Like that right. does seem to be one of those genetic drivers. That's just like, we're going to process it somewhat faster. Okay. Mm. Um, a couple of the things I would say, there are particular nutrients that help with that metabolism. One of the things that's really helpful and important um, is B6, but really, you know, just kind of the B complex is important. Um, I mentioned those specific amino acids, zinc, tyrosine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are all like pieces that are, that have a role to play and are important. Um, Something else I would actually say is I think not just people with ADHD. I think as a society, we are very dopamine driven Mm. and, and it can just be that again, like that much worse if you have ADHD, because if you're already feeling low dopamine and something Mm. spikes dopamine for you, you're kind of going to want to keep doing that maybe more than you should. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you do that, we actually can create a challenge where the receptors are not as receptive and that can happen for anybody. But again, if we're already working with like a lower dopamine response with a lower dopamine, um, like capacity, because we're burning through it faster, we don't want to be burning out those receptors. And we, we, you can literally see physical changes in receptors in when we're in like high dopamine activities all the time. So like, um, you know, Things that we like to do that are available to us, like binging Netflix or uh, scrolling social media or high sugar, um, high alcohol. Alcohol. (laughs) Yeah. um, Porn, right? Like all of these things that are just available to us that like really, really trigger dopamine. We actually can start to become desensitized. Like literally physically, those receptors are desensitized. Someone with ADHD may be even more driven to those activities because we don't feel dopamine very easily. So it's like, it takes so much more. So you're like, like, oh, hey, I just figured out eating chocolate cake spikes my dopamine. I'm going to eat all the chocolate cake all the time. Right. Um, there is an increased risk of binge eating disorders with ADHD as well, um, probably for that reason, right? Drug addiction, so, would that be yeah, as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, like uh, up to 40% higher risk of alcohol use disorder. So these are the bummer downsides, right? But again, like why I'm like super aware as a parent, I'm like, I am like, all of these boundaries in place. Yeah. Yeah. I escaped without some of these things. Um, but when you just know that to me, knowledge is power, right? Hey, I'm more likely to be triggered into a dopamine seeking activity. I'm more likely to get hijacked into staying with that. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to be even harder for me to feel dopamines, um, uh, mechanisms later if I've burned out those receptors. Mm -hmm. So I am like, I'm just like weirdly uh, clear again about those boundaries, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like I have a certain, I have a reverse alarm clock. I'm like, it's this time, everybody's screens are off. It's this yeah. time, no more social media. Like, yeah, because I know how easily 
it is, you know, how easy it is to get sucked into those kind of dopamine driven yeah. activities for anyone, let alone anyone. someone, as you say, who, you know, whose brain thinks differently. So I, this has been, I, you know, I could obviously talk to you for days, I think about this. It's so fascinating to hear this and, and also just such a beautiful reminder around, around our brain health, right? Like to really prioritize that health and body and brain. Um, and that, cause that can make a huge difference. You know, if, if, if the things you're choosing are actually almost robbing you of joy, right? They're almost making it, you know, then it becomes very hard to find the joy in your life, right? Whereas, and we wonder sometimes why some people are so happy just existing. And it's mm-hmm. likely because they have that piece supported and that piece, you know, which is available to all of us, I think, to the best of our ability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think it's um, it's one of the things that makes me crazy is that we talk about mental health without talking about brain health. Yeah. How could we possibly not talk about the organ that, that is, that we need to support, right? Like the true actual physical health of that organ um, has massive impacts on how we feel and, you know, how how our, if our mental health is working or not. Mm Mm-hmm. And of course, our, our ability to manage stress, which seems to be the source of most disease anyway. So it's like yeah. if we want to manage our relationship to stress better than obviously caring about that brain health to support the mental health is kind of kind of the foundation piece is what you're saying. Super right? critical. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then obviously there's the brain body connection. I mean, they're not separate. So it's like we really need to nurture. I heard someone say, oh, now I'm trying, it's terrible. I, I hate not being able to credit, but someone um, said today, on a podcast I was listening to, um, you know, we think health is a noun, but really it's a verb, you know, like, mm, yeah, to be, you know, it's a constant state of practice and working on like we are, we are, are working on health, like we are being health. And yeah. um, it's such a reminder. I think we've just lost sight of the prioritization of this in our life and, and building those foundations. Yeah. I love that. That's, uh, I'm going to steal that too. Yeah, <laughs> so <our> so good. <laughs> yeah. uh, Christine, this has been absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful for you. I, I will probably have to ask you back sometime because this is um, such a powerful conversation and such a, you know, in an area that I think we're going to continue to see so much more desire to learn. And, and I think yeah. you just normalized it really well for us today. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. How uh, how does everybody learn more from you? If they want to know more about this, if they if they have a diagnosis or they might, or they want to reach out, or they want to just support their brain body health, you know, with you, how do they reach out? Yeah, so I actually just uh, just recorded a private podcast. Um, so it's a it's a pop up podcast. It's four episodes, all about uh, women's health, metabolism, and ADHD, and kind of what that intersection looks like. Um, so that's on my website. Um, it's christinemccarroll.com slash private pod. So okay. you have to opt in. It's not just like anywhere, but um, you can put it in any of your podcast players. So you can, you know, you basically just, uh, you grab the link and you can throw it into Apple or Spotify or wherever you, where we listen to podcasts. So um, yeah, it's a, just a deep dive explicitly on this conversation that we just had and what that intersection looks like. Um, went a little deeper into those assessments, the functional assessments you can do, some specific nutrients, all of that is is in there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, over on Instagram, just my name, Christine.McCarroll as well. Um, I haven't been as active, but I'm working on improving that presence over there too. So, um, you can follow me there. You can DM me. It is actually me in the DMS. Um, so if you have questions, I'm happy to answer there as well. That's amazing. I love it. I'm totally sending that link to my wife after this. So thank you so much. And myself, I'm going (laughs) to also listen. (laughs) 
Thank you so much, Christine. I so appreciate you. Go out, sisters. Be more in your life and not just less on a scale. We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining me on the Period Whisperer podcast. I want to encourage you to reach out to me directly and message me if there are topics or things you're struggling with so we can address those right where you are at. And of course, if you loved this episode, if you learned something, make sure to share it with your friends and please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts.